again, it just feels so basic. And then he died and he was in heaven with his family. That's essentially the ending. And it freaking sucks because, <laughs> because of how of how interesting some of the other elements were. I feel like you needed more body horror revenge, Ryan. Being a father changed you? I hear voices, Ryan. All the time. I'm being serious. <laughs> like, you literally are listening for something. If if you are not hearing voices, if you are not hearing something, <laughs> you're like, something is wrong. <laughs> why is why is she being so quiet? I mean, well, it's interesting that you say that you hear voices all the time, Raman, because that's certainly an affliction that Tom Bailey, one of the antagonists of this week's selection, Barry Windsor Smith's epic graphic novel, Monsters, Sure has. And boy, did he change after he became a father. Yeah, I don't think I changed that horribly. My voices were not in German. Mostly I get less sleep and I exist in a constant state of worry and irritability. Okay, well, let's back up. Monsters is a book 35 years in the making about an abused child, Bobby Bailey, who after trying to enlist in the army is subjected to a mad scientist's experiments and is turned into a monster, at least physically. Because he still clearly bears not only his humanity, but his own memories of his childhood that was once idyllic, but turned nightmarish when his father, Tom, returned from World War II. Now, most of uh, Monsters is actually told in flashback from the point of view of Bobby's tortured mother, Janet, as she slowly starts to realize something is wrong with Tom, but is trapped in social structures that don't give women who are abused a real outlet to escape. Yeah, and I think this book is just as much Janet and Tom's book as it is Bobby. And and if the word, if the name Barry Windsor Smith rings a bell, it's because he's famous, not just for his work in the Conan comics back in the 70s, but also WebNX in the early 90s, which was about, wait for it, how a man named Logan is kidnapped, experimented on, and turned into a fighting machine known as Wolverine. Wolverine. Anyway, rumor has it, though, that Monsters was actually once conceived as an Incredible Hulk story, and Windsor Smith hasn't confirmed that. But you can definitely see the parallels between Bobby Bailey and the Hulk's alter ego, Bruce Banner, who was also abused as a child before becoming a monster himself. And despite using the language of superhero comics, which Barry Windsor Smith cut his teeth on and honestly has such a quintessential look, Monsters tells a story that is much darker, both emotionally and at honestly verges into the grotesque and full-on body horror, as the kids are calling it. And I guess that's what we're supposed to talk about today. Raising children and body horror. <laughs> I'm Ryan Joe. I'm Roman Segel. Uh, and we're two guys who love our children. And by children, I mean cat and podcast. So, Roman, what did you think? I love your cat, and I love this podcast. But did you love monsters? <laughs> I did! You know, this was one of the books... That is, I think only Chris Ware in, in our listing of things that we've read is 100% done by one person. Story, actual script, pencils and inks, no color, but that's okay. I, I didn't know what to expect. You know, one name we did not talk about that Barry Windsor Smith cut his teeth on was Valiant Comics, which is something I really want to introduce. But I, I alluded to it earlier. His art is quintessential 
80s, 90s comic books for me. I think there's only a couple of artists that really take me back to experiencing comics being hyper-realistic without being like painted full-on realistic. So I think John Byrne is one of the only others that really sticks with me so much. And so to see such a long tail of work, and once again, Ryan, I'm going to do a sound effect. You gave me a phone book to read. (laughs) It hurt to hold in my lap to read this book, but it's, I was reading it knowing that he spent 35 years working on this. And I was just like trying to see differences in style. But the thing about Barry Windsor Smith is he has a style and it's always been, it's instantly recognizable as his work. I never felt the art changing. The only thing that might have changed the style of the art was it's effectively three books, right? The present, which bookends this entire tale of horror and the past and the more distant past. And I don't know, man, it's just consistently good. I guess it's getting a lot of hype on NPR and blah, 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 but it's worth it, man. What did you think? Yeah, the art is virtuosic. And even when he's basically just illustrating pages of two talking heads, he finds a way to just make it interesting and atmospheric. I'm thinking in particular of um, Janet's conversation with Tom's sister, Eileen. And there, she's talking about you know what she's going through. And But visually, it is so atmospheric because they're in a dark room filled, I think, with cigarette smoke. And the way he illustrates it, you feel like you are there. You feel claustrophobic. You feel there are these toxic fumes all around you. This is a just a, a beautifully illustrated book beginning to end. And I just it was just a real pleasure to flip through all of it. And, you know, it's worth saying... The writing, literally the writing, the, the middle chapter, which I want to spend a lot of time on, where which is mostly flashbacks told through the eyes of the mother, Janet, interspersed with journal entries, literally cursive written journal entries. And the first time I saw it, I was like, ah, shit, he's pulling in Alan Moore. I'm going to have to read a bunch of prose. I'm trying to read a comic book. And I found myself just as enamored with these journal entries that were interspersed with scenes from different days of her life and even the dates like you see april 13th journal entry april 20th journal entry and then you show a scene on april the 25th and it was it's it's an obvious tool it's not the first time someone's done it but it's just so masterfully done and you can't help but when i say fall in love i don't mean romantically but fall in love with the character of janet she was my mvp of this entire book Yeah, actually, I really like the journal entries, too. And what I think was so compelling about that is you could see her trying to justify the situation, justify Tom's behavior. And initially, he's like, oh, he's just having a little bit of trouble adjusting. You know, so basically, to our listeners, Tom comes back. He was a good man before he left for the war. And in coming back, he's just an abusive fucking asshole. And Janet is completely taken aback. In, In her letters, she tries to justify his behavior and you could sort of minimize, in a way, her own feelings of concern. And as the journal entries go on, as, as, as things progress, you can actually see the desperation leaking through. At the same time, you know, you can kind of see how she's hesitant to, to you know, put into words how awful the situation has become. And, you know, in a way, that that's part of the tragedy of Janet. You know, she's, 
she's in this world where she's kind of compelled to to make it work. You know, the, the, the whole prospect of divorce and taking her child with her, that doesn't exist for her. That doesn't seem to be an option for her. In 1950s and, America, yeah. Yeah, at all. And so she's really trapped, and her son's trapped. And, and you know, that... And, and you can kind of see her just trying to kind of soldier on and, you know, try to make the best of the situation. But in trying to do that, she also in a lot of ways, turns a blind eye to Tom's abuse of his son. You know, and it's only when she's kind of really fully confronted with it that she, you know, when she basically sees the assault that takes Bobby's eye, where she kind of has to actually confront what is going on with her family. And there's a tragedy to that, too, because she doesn't have any resources or any tools to deal with that, right? Because in the end, one of her last moments is actually she starts to abuse Bobby as well. And so instead of kind of rising above all of it or being able to to counter it, she becomes very much an active party in the abuse. I and it's that's tricky because it only happens at the end. At the very very end of yeah. the entire sad scenario. So to kind of back up for the plot for our five to 50 listeners, which includes Auntie Pinky, I I would say the story starts with kind of the classic Captain America, Bruce Banner story of a kid walks into an enlistment office, he's whisked away, he's experimented upon, and he gets superpowers, but becomes this monster and breaks out and runs away. And there's a lot of other stuff to unpack in that. That includes... people who can see the future and talk to dead people and move their Mm. spirits around. But then you instantly flash back to the story of Janet and Tom, Bobby, the monsters parents. And it follows basically through the, it's its own movie and it ends. I think it flashes back to the present a little bit uh, with this, but it basically shows the ultimate scenario, not just the abuse of this child, but the fate of, the parents and the things that shape the psychological torture that is the monster what becomes of bobby bailey and it it's tricky because it's not that it is abusive what she does to her son but it's i hate to say it's at the very end and it's she's pushed to the brink she's become a monster if only in a fleeting moment and that was one of the tragedies for me seeing that happen to her so suddenly I was I wasn't upset about it in the sense that I was upset with the choice the writer made. I was upset with what was happening to a character yeah. I'd become very close to. And yeah, so that, I guess that movement in myself, that's how I knew this was a great book. Well, it's OK. So there are two there, there are two things that I was kind of thinking were happening there, because, the, you know, first. So the reason she hits Bobby is because he kind of breaks a jigsaw puzzle, you know, of, 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 of basically a happy home. That's that's the image on the jigsaw puzzle. And she's like, oh, you, you destroyed the home. So there's almost sort of like a psychosis that happens there where it's Bobby's fault for destroying the happy home. And she kind of projects that into her own awful home life. The other thing is that she does that in front of her her brother who's visiting for Thanksgiving and his her brother's wife. So in a way, that could also be her own call for help. And that's kind of like the only way she knows how to do it by just kind of laying out the violence like right in front of everybody and being a party right, to it. Right. And, you know, I mean, both could be the right answer as well. So there's a lot, there's a lot uh, happening in that scene. And I, I actually think 
Barry wins. What the best thing about this book is, I think, like the the depiction of the nuance with which he just depicts the abuse. Not, I mean, not 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 the actual physical abuse, but the effect that the abuse has on the mother and on the son, and right, right. how she tries really hard to minimize it for for a long time, even as it's horrible to 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 witness. It's a, there's like a lot of complicated stuff happening psychologically there and i actually think that whole i mean that's actually kind of the bulk of the book bobby bailey is you know even as a child but especially as once he's transformed into a monster he's kind of a non-entity he doesn't you know this is really not his story this is the story of his parents and it's how the monster became and it's not because of nazi scientists yeah, and, and and actually that does kind of lead me to some of the other decisions that Barry Windsor Smith made that I thought were the wrong decisions because there's so much in this book that is really interesting and works really well. And he sets up in a way that's so interesting. But at the end, when there's this kind of payoff with, you know, a Nazi, Nazi, a Nazi scientist shovel fight and, you know, <laughs> this, this, this. You have this, to have one of those. You have to, you do, but it also involves some of the least interesting characters in the entire book. So, you know, so, so when I, you know, kind of thinking back on this whole book, I was sort of like at first very curious because he's definitely using the language of traditional comics. You have panels of helicopters, like firing missiles and going, what, 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 you know, the sound effects taking over the whole page. You know, you have this giant monster, you've got things in flames, you've got these weird scientific experiments, you've got a, a mad scientist, a mad Nazi scientist with a claw for a hand, who's really kind of just this cartoonish supervillain. So he has, and then you've got these, this, this family with the site, you know, essentially the, 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 it's basically like Stephen King's Shining, you know? And so you have all of these elements of superhero and fantasy comics, and I'm not quite sure what he's going to do with it. And then he, you kind of dive into this very nuanced story of, of, of an abusive home. And then, so you're like, okay, that's interesting. I wonder how all of these pieces are going to add up. And I, I got a little disillusioned towards the end because they didn't really line up. You know, instead of, you know, because what he's teasing throughout the abuse section not only what is going to happen to the parents, but also how did Tom Bailey become this person, right? He was a good man before he went away, kind of fun poet. And when he comes back, he's just a monster. And so you have what I think Windsor Smith is initially teasing is the story of two monsters. You have the story of Bobby Bailey becoming a physical monster. And then you have the story of Tom. And somewhere along his journey, he turned into a monster himself. And I thought, okay, this is what he's going to reveal at the end. We're going to reveal, you know, how Tom became a monster, and there's going to be some interesting parallels between. Well, them. and what also what what was going on is I alluded to the people who basically could talk to ghosts. There's a supernatural element. Tom, the father, uh, is sent away in World War II as a German translator. He comes across some surprise Nazi biogenic uh, mystic weird ass shit that the nazis were up to and, and it's a it's, horrible scene by the way it is a gr- i mean like this yeah, is ab- this absolutely. is probably the goriest scene in the entire book and it is really gory because barry winter smith goes all out illustrating this chamber of of horrors where people are being taken apart and you know steel and and machinery is being shoved inside of them it's it's a it's a, actually a really kind of horrid 
horrible sequence. Again, and it's kind of like, what were the things that the Nazi scientists did, not unlike Weapon X, that we brought back? We brought, you know, the same way we brought back Werner von Braun and all the Nazi rocket scientists. There is this, and it's a pretty grotesque plot as well, not just what's depicted, but what is said. Mm. But so Tom sees all this, the American German translator soldier, and he is scarred from this. And to your point, Ryan, they didn't do more with it. They were just like, he saw all this crazy ass shit and he was scarred by it. The Nazi scientist is brought back and the world does come full circle because that's the Nazi scientist that coincidentally his son is experimented on with. And that was complete coincidence that that was the kid that they found. And maybe that's kind of the, the coincidence that he was bringing, but there was no full circle other than some of the conclusion stuff with the people who could see ghosts because there is a through line another hap not happy another tragic coincidence of that entire black family of people who could speak to dead people and maybe that's all barry windsor smith wanted to do is just kind of have these nice isn't it strange the whole world is connected all these people but there wasn't much like interplay with those things other than it being a coincidence. Yeah. He, he introduces really interesting elements and it seems like he's going to pay it off in a really interesting way, but he never really does. The ghost people, their interactions are kind of inconsequential. I mean, like how do they actually affect things? If they didn't exist in the story, would things change? Well, no, not really. Things wouldn't change. I mean, you know, Bobby Bailey would still be abused and he would still die. And I guess you can kind of say at the end, there's sort of like a moment of grace, but that always feels like that end scene where the hero is dead and he wakes up and his dead wife is there and his dead children are there and they're all together in heaven. You know, it feels a little bit, you know, a little bit cartoonishly flip in a way. And it kind of doesn't feel like, you know, this book has, for much of it, has been much more complex psychologically. So seeing that, it just feels like, uh, it feels like it's a false note. So, and then, and then with Tom Bailey and his turning evil, yeah, he sees the horse in, in, of, of the human experimentation and he snaps, I guess, but you kind of, you do want more than that because I think there's this whole sequence where he's, he's, he's working on this mission on the Prometheus project and he's not, he's acting erratically and we get like, I, you know, we get a sense that he's acting erratically from, you know, cause we never see Tom, we just hear it from other people. And so we never actually see any of that dramatized, though. We never see, we have very few sequences of what he was like before. And we have very few sequences of, you know, how he dealt with the, the trauma and what his work was like with the, with the Nazi. And that's such a disappointment because you, you don't, you, without that, Tom is basically just an abusive asshole. And you, this book almost seems to, you know, it, it, it it almost kind of promises that it's going to show more um, about these characters and how they became that way rather than well, less. Well, what's interesting is in the Janet chapter where you're seeing the whole thing from her perspective, one of the things is she's trying to find out why her husband hasn't come back from the war. It's a yes. few years. And the basically the G-man that she's interacting with who's saying, I can't tell you much, it's classified, because time is passing. It is more than a couple of years after the end of World War Two. And they're alluding to he's seen some shit. He's going through some shit. He's got to yes. stay behind. And they are building it up. And then the next chapter, as much as I love the Janet chapter, the next chapter, you're in Nazi Germany with Tom Bailey. And it is a horrific scene. It's 
really messed up kind of what's going on with the Nazi scientists. But to your point, it's just kind of Tom sees some shit. Yeah, I guess that's it. And and again, you I guess maybe maybe what and it was a much shorter chapter, right? The phone book is almost done. And maybe that's either this is actually how I could understand the passage of time. Barry Wintersmith is working on this book. The year is 2010. And he's he just spent probably 15 years working on the Janet chapter slaving over (laughs) it. Does he just want to get it over with? And he's like, you know what? The readers, I'm going to paint a really grisly picture. And let's just assume that's why Tom's really fucked up. He doesn't need to mm, be yeah. manipulated by the Nazi scientists. He doesn't need any psychological warfare. If anyone sees this, if anyone would experience this gruesome shit that I am illustrating and depicting, you're going to understand why he comes back an asshole. And I kind of did, to be very clear. I kind of did. But it's, it's just like, maybe that's how I understood the passage of time of 35 years of one man working on this is... Assuming he worked on this chronologically from, you know, page one was at the beginning of the 35 year journey, page whatever, 700 is on the final days. Maybe he just got tired, right? It's possible. Yeah. But I I wish he didn't (laughs) because like, I I think his decision at the end to show basically the origin of this Nazi doctor, the Nazi doctors actually, despite being, you know, having a claw hand and being this cackling menace (laughs) is the least interesting character in the entire book. He is basically, if I were, if I were to, you know, tell you, Hey, create a supervillain who's just nasty you'd be like okay he's got a claw for a hand he and he's a racist he's homophobic (laughs) he's a nazi and also he likes to rape people because he does that he does he's he's a he's a hypocritical homophobe he's a hypocritical homophobe he likes to you know he he likes or i mean he likes his his aryan men he likes his aryan men here's the other thing i don't even know if that has anything to do with sexual attraction that might just be a dominance thing because he's sort of like the smallest guy in the in the entire group of nazis so when he has the upper hand the first thing he does is he rapes you it's it's it, it feels like you're just kind of throwing together like the worst traits you can and just turning out this this kind to create of a monster, yeah. To create yeah, a villain. villain. Well, yeah, and and so you know, I wasn't. I was actually kind of relieved early on when he died. I was like, oh, you set up the superhero, the supervillain, this cackling menace, and oh, good, he's dead. So we can kind of like move on. But we don't move on. In fact, at the end, the last, the very last part is actually like his origin story and how he came to the, to America. And I feel like that, all of that. It, it, it's also so drawn out, like his argument with his fellow. He has he basically has an argument with the other Nazis. Then he has an argument with his buddy Nazi. And then that, 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 that was his that was his special friend, buddy Nazi. Yeah, his special. Yes, yeah, his, his his accomplice. And so no, no, like this, there was more than that. I think that was his lover. Right. Oh, they're lovers. Yeah, they're lovers. OK, yeah, that. Yeah, they're lovers. But I mean, Not that there's like, anything wrong with that. No, it's just it's just it's just boring it's it's i mean I, I never thought i'd say like a shovel fight a nazi shovel fight would be boring, between nazi lovers is boring yeah in yeah, a fire pit know. in a in a crematorium you know what though because we've been going through page and and pages of people just being betrayed and massacred for like you know for like not a lot of not particularly interesting reasons the nazis are not that interesting as characters and it's like all of this time could be spent on tom we could be learning more about tom and that would be a and, much and, and his fellow black soldier who is related to characters to, uh, from the present Elias. who yeah. can see dead people like right. they so, did nothing with it. So so like he basically just spent the last couple of pages, a lot of pages 
writing these really beautifully intricate sequences about characters we don't give a shit about. And that was like that. I guess that's why I was I, I was so irritated at the end because it's not it, it just it suddenly became uh, almost like a different book. And uh, and I feel like that 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 was a, a big lost opportunity to kind of bring things it, to a close. It felt like he was wrapping it up really, really fast because yeah, I believe after <laughs> yeah. the Nazi chapters, after the Nazi chapters, you know, you do fast forward to the present moment with Elias's daughter with what's going on now that you have the full backstory of Bobby Bailey, what's actually happening with monster Bobby Bailey at his childhood home, what's happening with the, you know, the American general who just wants to use this monster. There's some interesting stuff happening there. And I actually think the conclusion didn't wrap up too fast, but I think we could have spent more time with the backstory of Tom and Elias's father. Yeah. Right. In a way, it's sort of like, he's just kind of, it's almost like he's checking things off. It's like, oh, yes, and this guy was related to this. Or here's another example. Elias, right? He meets Janet Bailey. And actually, this is a really cool sequence. Because so Elias is the the, the black soldier with a sight who can kind of see into the future, become a, you know, whatever. He's got some mental mental powers. And as a child, he runs into an angel. And he's like, oh, my God, that's janet bailey that's the mother of the boy who i sent into the prometheus project and he's racked with guilt and he and gave late, me a message he gave me a message he, on a on a super on a on a captain america comic and then later on you see that scene from janet's perspective and it's actually a much more mundane sequence where a little boy comes up and says oh my god are you a movie star and she's like oh no it's like oh come on send my comic write something on it and he hands her actually a a a superman comic and she signs it. So you kind of see it's actually a really interesting thing that Barry Windsor Smith does there because she she has it. She has the memory in Elias's mind of him as a young boy seeing an angel descending from heaven. And from her, her encounter is just I met this kid. He thought I was somebody else. And what is pretty, what that was the, a pretty upsetting moment for me. Well, why is it upsetting? Oh, because it was so mundane. Yeah. And I don't because the way they set it up at the beginning is Elias encountered someone else who had the sight. Elias encountered someone else that was going to have a significant impact on his life. And to be fair, indirectly she did because of her own trauma and, you know, him and his, I guess, you know, it does come full circle. The ghost of him through his daughter does come help Tom at the end. So yeah, maybe it does yeah. work out, but no, in that moment, it was a coincidence. Well, so I agree with you. I actually was thinking, oh, that's a really cool sequence. I wonder how it's going to pay off. I bet that's a bit we're going to see something amazing, you know, and then nothing really comes of it other than I guess the daughter shows up at the end to help out to help Shepard to help help Shepard the kid or the monster into the next life. But that's not particularly again, it's not particularly interesting. And so, you know, you have this really interesting sequence that is a big buildup or feels like it's going to be a big buildup for something. And it ultimately is not. And I feel like that is something that happens kind of throughout monsters, really interesting stuff, a buildup to something, a promise of something awesome and a piddling conclusion. And I'll, I, I, actually, I have another example that really bothered me. I, I got, when who's the, who's the guy that Jack officer, Jack friendly officer, Jack, who is also a, I guess a secret agent for the, for the U S army. There's a sequence where he takes Janet to an officer's 
to to a, a special lunch for women whose husbands have still not returned from war. It's sort of the army's way of saying thank you. And as Jack is kind of going through the room, some people call him captain. Some people call him, oh, hello, major. Some people call him, you know, general. You don't know, you don't know what's you don't going know who, on with this guy. You don't know what's going on. And that creates a really interesting sense. Like, he's like, oh, it's stupid. I, I'm kind of embarrassed to explain. And you're like, oh, wow, this is, this. there's something different happening here. It's, it keeps you off balance. And the explanation ultimately is that everyone's just kind of playing along because they know that Jack has a crush on her and they're trying to, you know, make him seem like a bigger deal than he actually is. And that explanation is so disappointing because it is fundamentally stupid. It doesn't really make sense on a narrative level. And then it also, it also undermines a really intriguing mystery by giving us that with a lot of buildup and giving us ultimately a very dumb conclusion. Do you think that's by design? Do you think these choices of teasing the supernatural, but it really isn't that interesting. Do you think that was intentional? Ooh, that's interesting. No. It's almost like a bait and switch. You think there's more going on to the world, but nah, people just kind of suck. You know, that's interesting. I, I assumed initially that it wasn't. I guess if I if it was if we say okay, it was intentional. Like to what purpose, right? What is Barry Windsor Smith trying to do? Because he sets it up so marvelously. That's the thing with like these anticlimaxes. You kind of have to be really careful about it because. On the one hand, yeah, maybe you're making a bigger statement about something by teasing something and then giving by teasing a big dramatic act and then just letting it piddle out. You know, but on the other hand, you're even if you intend to do that, you still have a shitty ending, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of like it's sort of like a when a when a writer tries to imitate like a school kid writing for, you know, you know, they, they read a short story or something from the perspective of a little kid and they want to create the little kids, you know, trying to write, like do intentionally bad writing is difficult because sometimes there's a, there's a point where intentionally bad writing just becomes bad writing. So that's, I guess that's what I would, would say, you know, if, if this were intentional decisions on Barry Windsor Smith's part. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So would you, would you, would you, would you recommend Monsters? I wouldn't recommend it. I would say I would recommend it to people who don't read comics at all, or I would recommend it to people who know comics really well. I wouldn't recommend it to the casual fan, if that makes sense. So I have an appreciation for it because I know everything that Barry Windsor Smith stands for. I know the archetypes of Bruce Wayne and Weapon X, or sorry, Bruce Banner and Weapon X, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, it's like seeing one of the greats doing his own thing. And I think doing pretty well at it. So I think if you really have a deep appreciation for comics, you're going to love this. I also think if all you think is comic books are superheroes, you're going to love this. It's going to blow your mind. It's one of the reasons I like having guests on this show is these are mostly people who don't read a lot of comics. But if you are, you know, that kind of in-between fan, I don't think you would enjoy this as much. Yeah, I, I would recommend it, but with caveats. Certainly, if you if you just appreciate the graphic medium, like again, I had mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this very these virtuosic sequences that are just so atmospheric. They're some of the most atmospheric and beautiful sequences I've ever seen in a comic book. I mentioned before the two women talking about the problem with Tom in a smoke filled room. There's another really cool sequence where Janet and Jack 
are saying goodbye and it's raining and they're in a convertible and Jack is fucking plastered and she's trying to catch, she's like, Jack, I have to go. The, 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 the bus is coming. I have to go. And so there's this very hair hurried goodbye and, you know, it's capped off by this illicit kiss because, you know, he, you know, she's, she's a married woman and it, it takes place in this pouring rain and it's a beautiful freaking sequence. I mean, well, and because shit. of all, and all, and not, not just the, the, because the build up to this sequence, you've seen Jack being tortured yeah. by his love of this woman, not wanting to act on it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's up there. It's up there. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, again, the, the depiction of abuse from Janet's point of view, the way she's trying to reconcile it, I think that's just a really, I, I think that's just a really kind of heart wrenching piece of writing, uh, you know, where, where I start to, you know, I mean, cause so if you're, if you're kind of interested in that sort of real, you know, kind of like uh, depiction of the, this, this complicated psychology that happens in a domestic abuse situation, I think it's, it's definitely worth a read but you know then you again you get to the end where it's just nazi cartoon and rape and you know body horror and it becomes like a very different comic so if you were into that earlier stuff like when you know towards the end it's like it it just changes i'm not quite sure if if it becomes tales from the crypt essentially and again given everything that 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 windsor smith set up i don't know if that was if that's the right if that's the right payoff, I'm not saying that you can't have these, this body horror and, you know, the Nazis at the end. It's just to have them dominate in such a way. That was, that was, that's something that I was iffy. I didn't like. I'm just going to say, I, yeah, I, I thought that was a bad decision. So, yeah, recommended conditionally. But you know what? <laughs> I, I, w- I would also say that if you are into comics, so right, right, basically right before we did this podcast, I was like, I, I should actually binge. Wolverine Weapon X, which is sort of the comic he did about Wolverine's origin. When Wolverine, the X-Men known as Wolverine, was experimented on and he got And when added, when the world knew nothing about him other than he yeah. was the most popular mutant. And he and that was how he got his adamantium claws, because at the time they didn't they hadn't established that he actually had bone claws. And actually if you if you if you it's actually a really interesting companion piece to monsters. It's you know much more I guess kinetic in terms of like it's pretty much just like a lot of like superhero action. There's splash pages of Wolverine hacking a bunch of evil security forces, but there's also there's you know Windsor Smith actually uses similar tricks. Like for instance, when people interrupt each other in monsters, you know he has overlapping word balloons. That's like a thing that he does, and I didn't actually I wasn't aware of anybody else who does that, and he does that in Wolverine Weapon X, and he actually really leans into the body horror aspect you know, of what they're doing with Wolverine. It, I don't know. I mean, maybe after reading Monsters, you know, I, I, you kind of see like how nasty it is, you know, the, the experiments that were done on, on Wolverine. And also the, the fact that they gave him claws. I know that in co- modern continuity, the claws were already there and they just were coated in adamantium. But the idea that they actually put claws into his body that he didn't have before that is actually much more compelling and freakish than if he already had it and he just kind of they became ultra strong because they were coated in adamantium. It's actually like a phys- like a, a real violation, a, a transformation, you know that he, right, right, yeah, like like almost like a tumor, a growth that they implanted into him that he didn't want. So anyway, so I, I would actually recommend if you're into superhero comics, you read monsters and read read Weapon X. But the thing uh, to bring it back to monster. Monster. No, monsters. Wow. Yeah, I've been calling this monster for a while. And I was like, why is Ryan getting this wrong? Because it's about Bobby 
who is a physical monster, and Tom, his father, who's a psychological monster, becomes a psychological monster, as well as the Nazi scientist. But again, that was knowing Weapon X coming into this book. At first, I was like, okay, so it's another version of that, right? Another version of the Hulk. And something I appreciated was the plural. It Bobby is not the monster here. Bobby is, if anyone isn't, he's probably the most innocent person who's turned into a monster. Because even after all of the pain of his past, he doesn't become a bad person. He's a disillusioned lost soul who wanders into a recruiting office. But Bobby didn't become a, a psychopath. I could be wrong on some of the backstory that they bring up about him, but he never did anything wrong. And that was so interesting. He does become this grotesque, larger than life, hulking monster. And they don't do much with it. And yeah. I liked that they didn't do anything with it. They actually show, you know, he pulls the people from the wreckage. He's not a monster. The one yeah. person who is not a monster in this book is the one you think is supposed to be. Yeah, it's kind of like this moment of grace, right? Where, you know, despite being transformed, he actually does try to save these people. And these people who are hunting him, these people who are hunting him. In a way, I feel like that almost justified him doing a little bit more. I don't know what he could do because literally he is, he is just going someplace to die, right? That's, 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 he's going, he's going home. He's going, yeah, you know, you kind of think he's off and he's going to go on a rampage. Uh, Actually, I'm rethinking that. Maybe I do, you know. I, I both do and I don't, right? I, I like the fact that, you know, you think he's going off on a rampage or, you know, or, or you know, maybe there might be a moment where he kind of meets some friendly villagers or whatever um, and saves them. But instead, what he's really doing, he's going, going to his childhood home and he's going there to die. And, you know, and, and so in a way, it kind of makes the, all of this, all of this, you know, sturm und drang with the, with the helicopters blowing shit up it makes it completely unnecessary because he is going to, he's, he's doomed anyway. And in, in so so in that sense, you know, I like the fact that he, you know he, he doesn't do much because he doesn't really want to do much. He just wants to, to be left alone. On the other hand, I almost feel like he's kind of owed, almost like we the readers should give should get a sense of his interiority of of who he is in a way just because of how awfully he's abused. You know, the only time we see him is as a victim, as this kid, and then we see him kind of as his as a sort of like ineffective adult and then he's a monster and he doesn't really communicate as a monster. And in a way I kind of thought, Oh, it would be, it would be nice just to get a little one more moment of Bobby Bailey and maybe what's going through his head, not too much, but just like maybe a final moment because I think it's, it, 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 it's deserved. The story sort of wraps around him and what happened to him. And the only conclusion you get is the ghost family bringing him peace. Yeah. You, you complete is... the flashback and the ghost family brings him peace. Right. And again, it's sweet and all, but you wanted more. It's not the you right wanted ending. more poetic justice. No, I don't want more. Po- I mean, I got poetic justice in Weapon X, right? That's that's where you get the big, great revenge. It needs there. There, there isn't really a happy ending to be had here. And, you know, I guess maybe it's telling that the only happy ending he can have is with this imagine is is kind of in his pet, this weird imaginative imaginative space or this weird heaven type thing but again it just feels so basic and then he died and he was in heaven with his family that's essentially the ending and it freaking sucks because <laughs> because of how of how interesting some of the other elements were 
I feel like you needed more body horror revenge, Ryan. Oh, just something. We did get a lot of body horror. I, again, I got a lot of body horror revenge with with Weapon X, and, and I'm and I'm glad. I'm happy that Barry Windsor Smith tried something else. I just don't think this was quite the right thing. But <laughs> hats off to Windsor Smith for for completing this. And again, just beautifully beautifully illustrated, and some of the some of the sequences are just so well written and and nuanced. So you know, as much as I complain. You know, I always complain. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a podcast. (laughs) You got to shit on something, Ryan. Exactly. And speaking of shitting on things, I I do have one more question for you. Yeah. What are we reading next week? Well, I'm actually going to shit on your soul next week. And uh, that's because we're reading Josh Simmons. We're going to be reading three uh, of his short of his short works. The collection, The Flayed Corpse which uh, recently came out, his collection, The Furry Trap, which came out a few years ago, I can't remember when, when, and his short graphic novel, Black River, which came out, oh, I think 2007-ish. The thing about Josh Simmons, he's he's a, a kind of an indie creator, and he is completely freaking unnerving. And there are times when I actually just have to put his books down because they creep me out so much and make me so uncomfortable. And there are also times when I kind of just laugh out loud because some of the stuff that he that he that comes out of his head is just so kind of outlandishly funny. And then there are times when I feel both ways, like I'm laughing, but also, please, I got to shut this book because this feels awful. I'm not selling this well for Ruman. <laughs> this is like if you didn't like Uzumaki, I'm not sure how you're going to like Josh Simmons, but I am very curious to get your point of view next week on uh, the penultimate or season finale of quarantine comics on the season finale of quarantine comics we are going to ryan weird ryan weirds rumming out once again (laughs) 